0: You're listening to the Southampton Delivery P- P- Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans.
1: I'm really happy to be here. It's a pleasure for me. I would like uh, to make the most of with this opportunity.
0: It's infield to Mare, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1-0! Blue fast shot! Oh my
1: word! He ran around like Bambi on ice. Really, very, very embarrassing to watch.
0: And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. And No matter where you are, no matter how you may be joining us, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Alex Hammond. Alex writes for Reed Southampton and La Liga News. Uh, he speaks three languages. So when he says Pellegrino out, hopefully it's in a way that you haven't quite heard before because much of what we're going to talk about this week, we have talked about before. We saw some of the same downfalls again against Watford that we've seen in the past. We saw poor use of substitutions. We saw a lack of a plan B. We've seen uh, a a questionable maybe team selection. And although we had a very impressive first half, uh, when the team came out at halftime, they were very flat uh, and they were overrun by a Watford side that uh, had some fight injected into them by their manager and their captain. And we are definitely lacking that. So we will talk about all of that with Alex shortly. Uh, If you don't follow Alex on Twitter, you can do so at St. Hammond and be sure to check out uh, his match report on the Watford match and all of his other writing over at Reed Southampton. And if you're interested in La Liga, he also writes, like I said, for La Liga News. Before we get to the interview with Alex, though, I'd like to remind you to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram for match day edits, polls, competitions and more. Be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Matt, who runs the page, has been a guest on this show. He did the logo for the show. He's been a huge help in getting this started, and I couldn't do this without him. So please check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. And while you're on Instagram, be sure to check out the show's Instagram. It's at SFC D-E-L-L underscore I-V-E-R-Y, same as on Twitter. And I'm trying some things over there that I don't try on Twitter, uh, trying to put up one post a day uh, on something to do with the team uh, or the podcast or a combination of both. And I think it's going well. But if you're on Instagram, uh, do check it out and let me know what you think. All right. And uh, let's get to my interview with Alex now. And once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy it. We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Alex Hammond. You can find him on Twitter at St. Hammond. You can get his match reports and other writing at Reed Southampton. Alex is here to recap the Watford match and talk about all the things that happened there. And we'll even take some listener questions uh, towards the end of the show. So, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to to join me today. Uh, how, how are you? And And welcome to the show. I'm fine, Matt. Thank you very much for having me on the show. My absolute pleasure. You know, we, we were trying to set this up uh, for a while and and we were hoping that the Watford match would be a, a good one to, to go off of, but it turns out, you know, maybe a little bit of a bitter taste in everybody's mouth after, after yesterday, especially about uh, the way that that the match kind of ended. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to the match in just a second. But uh, first off, you are a Southampton fan and you are writing for Reed Southampton and also um, for a La Liga site, is that correct?
1: Yeah, um, I write for La Liga, Web's, uh, La Liga news about three, four weeks now. And I've written for um, Reed Southampton for about a year now. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Um, So where are you originally from the Southampton area or are you? uh... Um, No, originally uh, I was born
1: in uh, Harrow in Middlesex, which is a county in Northwest London. Um, But now I live in Southampton because I study at Southampton University.
0: Awesome. And so uh, growing up, then, what uh, what Premier League team, what current Premier League team, is the closest to where you where you used to live? Um, in terms of location,
1: it would probably be Watford, um, twenty minutes ish from where I live. Um, it would have definitely been
0: Watford. That was that the biggest team then when you grew up, or, or where you grew up, or were people more kind of inclined to to cheer from one of the bigger London clubs? Um, throughout this,
1: throughout my school days, um, it would definitely be um, the bigger teams, the Arsenal's, the Chelsea's, the Man United's. But uh, as I got older, then more local clubs came in. So there were the odds Watford fans, Wheelstone fans as well, the lower, lesser league teams as well. Um, but yeah, Watford was um, not very well supported. Uh, well, not very popular back in the school day, but, you know, the big boys were
0: obviously the uh, dominant forces. Sure. Is, does Kit Color have anything to do with that? The fact that they're yellow? Does that? Does I, that... I, have, I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> Um, but growing up in Watford, how did you, how did you become uh, a Southampton fan? Um, my dad
1: was um, a Southampton fan. He grew up in the sort of Southampton area. Um, his brother, my uncle, was also a Southampton fan, um, got taken to many Southampton games uh, with my dad and my uncle, um, and then gradually it started becoming a Southampton fan.
0: So <laughs> All right. All right. And then uh, did you guys go to more, growing up, did you guys go to more away games then, since you guys were in London and, and Southampton would have been traveling there, or were you guys kind of make the trip down to Southampton uh, to St Mary's for, fairly often.
1: No, we did. We did go to a few away games um, when we were in the Championship. We went to um, the Valley, which was the Charl- Charlton Stadium. We went to um, Selhurst Park, which was Palace's Stadium, when they were back in the Championship as well. Um, we also went to uh, Millwall twice, um, which was a very daunting experience for any um, away supporter. Um, Premier League, uh, been to Vicarage Road, obviously, went yesterday and the year before. Um, I went to Stanford Bridge a couple of years ago and I sat in the um, away end with a friend of mine who's a Chelsea fan and it was when um Southampton scored after 15 seconds. Oh. Um, so I had to try and, you know, stay calm and also um, went to Wembley for the Johnson's Paint Trophy Final and the EFL Cup Final. Um, but home games were definitely, um, we went to a lot of, a lot of, of home games when we were in league one and the championship, the football was, you know, for the ticket prices and for the football we were watching, we were scoring goals on a consistent basis, uh, winning
0: games as well. It was so much more entertaining. I kind of wish it was like that now. <laughs> You're not the first person to, to, to wish for that uh, at all. So um, based on some of the away experiences that you've had, do you have a favorite uh, kind of stadium to go see outside of St. Mary's?
1: Um, In terms of the actual match day experience, not in terms of atmosphere, in terms of the match day experience, Wembley was definitely the best. Um, Even though we lost um, the EFL Cup final, the atmosphere was just amazing. Um, The the fans singing, the people turning on the torches when it was dark, you know, just, it was probably one of the best, in terms of a football fan, probably one of the best experiences. Also, um, not away, but at St Mary's, uh, when we got promoted to the Premier League, um, that was probably, as well, one of the best games I've been to.
0: So, so you mentioned your dad's a, a saint supporter do you have any uh, other your dad and your uncle anybody else in the family uh, on the saints kind of side of things or anybody else supporting any other teams in your in your family
1: um well my mom she she doesn't mind football so we're making her a saint um officially okay um we have um French family um I try and make them. I'll try and make them Southampton fans but I think they'll stick to the the French side of things and um also a bit of Dutch there as well he's he follows Southampton because when Kuman was manager as well there was the Dutch side of things there
0: um so your uh yeah. your french family do they uh what what team or what area do they live in in france
1: um marseille okay. so i follow that team as well
0: A- am i correct in thinking that that their kind of stadium and their away fans their ultras are pretty pretty rowdy as well yeah
1: they, they would definitely be you know with the european fans i think they would definitely be categorized under like the hardcore okay. sort of fans
0: yeah. So like not where you t- like, like, uh, like you mentioned Millwall earlier, would it be similar to that maybe in terms of, of visiting that stadium as an away supporter?
1: Probably. I mean, the atmosphere, I've, I haven't been to a Marseille game, but if I, I would love to go to one just see the atmosphere. But for an away fan, it must be extremely daunting. You know, you, feel, you must feel like you're at two feet tall and you know everyone's
0: just watching over you yeah. because the, the stadium is huge. And I can't imagine, you know, what it's like to be in somebody else's stadium and have the, you know, the the stewards there and kind of the separate entrance and all that stuff like that. That's a totally different uh, experience. And it's hard, it's hard for me to imagine, I guess, other than, yeah. you know, because I've only ever it's, seen it on TV.
1: Yeah, it's weird as well, because I'm because I went to um, uh, the Europa League games. And I also went to the one where Southampton got knocked out by um I think it was uh halfwill Shiva. Yeah. And um because when they scored it was about the eighty eightieth minute sort of time. And there were um there were fans sat in the, the suite sort of area. So you um the Saints Bar area and there were Shiva fans sat there. When they scored, just they started cheering and everyone literally turned around and was looking at them. And it was it was one of the weirdest things I've seen.
0: Yeah, I don't uh I don't know. It's it, it would be it would be hard for me to, to do that. I remember that game. I was at school. I was at work, and it was on. And yeah. I just remember, just going like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but that, yeah. that's another example of what happens when you sit and play for a draw instead of trying oh, to yeah. or, or sit back too, too deep. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but before we do, just real quick on your on your writing, um, how did you get involved in in writing for Reed Southampton and just writing about football in general?
1: So um, when I went to school, I had um, a friend of mine. Um, he was. Passionate, And he was a sports writer as well. Um, he was specializing in football and Formula One and he wrote um, a dissertation on Formula One. And I asked him yeah, how he got into it. And um, he gave me contact details um, to write for the same website that he did, which back then was um, sort of betting preview sort of stuff. Um, and I started writing about that. And then there were also um, previews, match reports, things like that. And my first published article was uh, Southampton's 5-4 defeat against um, Red Bull Leipzig um, in a pre-season friendly. Um, that was about four. I think it was the first season kuman took over. So that would have been four years ago now. And from there, I wrote previews, reviews. And then I moved to a fancy football-based website um, as an editor. Um, and I wrote match previews. Uh, on the uh, on the fancy um football interests in the interest of a fancy football fan and then um an, an opportunity presented itself at Reed Southampton They were taking writers, and I said you know this is what I'd like to do later on is there a wi fi you know Start practicing and, you know, build up my portfolio, things like that. And um, they took me on, thankfully. And then more recently, La Liga as well, same thing that came through the university. They said, you know, there's people looking for uh, writers for La Liga. So I thought, why not extend the field? Um, you know, the bigger the niche, you know, specializing in various things, you're more likely to stick out from the crowd. And um,
0: yeah, they both gave me the opportunity to build a portfolio. And, you know, to that, I'm really grateful. Has has writing about Southampton as the team that you like, is, is that easier? Or is it more difficult than maybe writing about a team that you don't have maybe like an emotional connection to?
1: Um, I tend to just brush it aside. I'm just I tend to put the professional cap on, you know, as much as I'd like to, you know, complain and say, you know, oh, the manager's this, the player's that, you know, I just try and see it as a from a unbiased point of view, just write the report as if it was my job and then just publish it. And then afterwards, I think about that. OK, so if I was not a fan, if I was not a reporter, how would I say this and that? So it's taught me how to you know, say things in a more conservative manner, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, sometimes like the guys from The Guardian or whatever, they have these kind of deadlines, where they have to submit kind of on the final whistle or within like 10 minutes or whatever. And so they they're writing all during the match and then something like happens like yesterday where Watford, you know, somehow get a late goal and it kind of yeah. changes the whole thing. Uh, are you under deadlines like that or do you get to kind of wait uh, for a few hours or the next day or how does that work?
1: Um with the resound to one, it tends to be the same day or the day after as long as it's Within that sort of time frame, it's fine. With La Liga, it tends to be a few hours because there's more, um, there's a lot more things to cover. There's a mo- lot more news to cover, a mo- lot more reviews to cover. Okay. Um, so with La Liga, it's a bit tighter. But yeah, as long as it's done at, at maximum 24 hours
0: after, it's fine. Has it has it at all changed the way that you watch the Southampton matches specifically? Because like doing this podcast, like now when I watch, I take notes, you know, and I kind of like make sure I, I have kind of things in order for the most part. And I still get things. Wrong wrong of course um but do you going from like like yesterday being at the match are you doing anything differently knowing that you have to write a match report or are you just kind of going and watching and then you'll kind of you know look up the the timings or whatever later on
1: yeah when i when i go to a game i still tend to get the the same buzz i used to get when i was a boy going to my first few games um so when sounds in school i'll cheer like a normal fan and applaud and things like that but throughout the other times of the game i do like watching the game from a tactical point of view you know like player movement positioning passing dribbling you know um things that we can analyze and things that players can improve upon so yeah i tend i tend to look at games from a tactical point of
0: view and then after the game i'll, I'll do the timing the notes the the different things like that all right all right well are you okay now kind of moving on and talking about yesterday's match against Watford? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And you mentioned you were there. Um, yeah. Were you in the Southampton away section? I was yes. Uh, right. sold out, cramped away. end. yeah, it seems like, uh, our, our traveling fans again, uh, have been representing the club. Well, you know, in terms yeah. of, uh, last week at Fulham this week against Watford, it seems like every time we go away, um, they, they do a great job. It doesn't seem always like the, the crowd at St. Mary's is always as loud or as, uh, uh, kind of no. boisterous and, and people have su- described it as toxic quite often um, but it doesn't so much seem like uh, the away fans of course last week against Fulham they did a uh, chant at Mauricio Pellegrino like something about you don't know what you're doing um, oh yeah but which p- people like I think turn their heads and going like what are you what, what are you doing you guys are winning but uh, anyway we we won't talk about that <laughs> just yet but atmosphere atmosphere was good yesterday what how, how did it how, did it change a lot from from the first half to the second half it seemed like the Watford fans kind of got into it a bit more uh, late on in the, in the match
1: I think I think the turning point of the game was definitely um, when Watford brought on um, Dini, um, because obviously he's a club favourite for them. And because he's so massively physical, he is literally like an NFL player. Yeah, um, he, He's just... They could just lump the ball forward, and he would head everything down, and that gives the team confidence. It gives Woff, it gave Wofford the confidence that they had a route back into the game. Um, and obviously, Southampton, um, they just couldn't handle it. And whether that's down to personnel or tactics, it just they just crumbled. Absolutely.
0: So let's start. First off, with the lineup that the manager yeah. put out yesterday, no surprise. I, I don't think that, that he stuck with McCarthy and goal um, after kind of the performances that he's had recently. He hasn't been he's, he's been pretty good, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, with Cedric being back healthy, uh, that that was one of the ones we were kind of worried about. He's going to be a late kind of fitness test, according to, to Pellegrino's um, press conference a few days ago. Uh same with Hoot. Um, so for him and Stevens to be there with Yoshida being out injured, I guess that's fine. And then Bertrand kind of shirting up the back line. I think that's as strong as the back four as we, we're going to get right now. And I and I kind of think that that Stevens and Hoot may be the center backs of the future for for the club. Um, but uh moving into the midfield a lot of people were kind of upset that it's it's Romeu again getting the start next to Hoiberg and not maybe Lamina and Hoiberg but did you have any any thoughts on, on that are you okay with Romayu retaining a spot even if he's not been quite up to to maybe his standards of last season um personally I think Romayu deserves
1: to be in the team I mean he, he he does what he his job is to break down the the, the attacks and he's a physical presence in the team and that's Perfect. He fills out that role really well. I'd, I'd compare him to Schneiderlin in a way. That's the role that he's taken, just breaking down opposition attacks um but personally the 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 person i was surprised to see in the side was um davis i know he's our captain and you know you have to sort you feel obligated to star him but he's just he's just too slow he just passes the ball sideways someone like lamina you know he played in he played in the champions league final against madrid and he's our record signing so you think he should be starting every game but he's really strong he's technically he's brilliant he's dynamic he gets Um, out of small, tight spaces. He gets Saints forward. We saw it yesterday. And Davis was even at fault for the first goal. So I think for the next game against Tottenham, I think it is. Yes. um, It it should be uh, Lamina, Romeo and Hojgog, all three of them in the midfield.
0: Now for a long time we've been playing a 4-3-1 kind of formation i didn't know that pellegrino likes to move players around and, and kind of change formation as the game whether an attack or defense but mm-hmm. yesterday was it was it clear to you that we were maybe playing like a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-4-1-1 or something that wasn't quite the the four-two-three-one 3 one that we, we've been seeing uh, in in weeks past
1: yeah, it definitely it looked like a bit of a four-three-three, but with one of the midfielders being brought a bit further back. So it looked as though Rameau was brought back um, as the holding midfielder, and you had um, Højbjerg and Lamina just in front of them, um, just to try and tighten up um, the midfield and to try and keep the space between the defence and the midfield really tight. But I just don't think it worked, honestly.
0: Yeah, and and like you said with Davis, you're not the first person, obviously, to, to point out that he is uh, slow and kind of tedious on the ball. And I think he's one of those players that it's hard for a lot of fans to maybe criticize him because he is kind of, he does all the all the right things in terms of his attitude and and kind of uh, putting in the work and all of those things. But I don't know, yesterday when I saw him in the side, I kind of think, and I could be completely wrong here, that if, if Yoshida's fit, Yoshida plays in the back line and, and Yoshida captains the side and Davis doesn't make it. But yeah, be, def- because because Yoshida is, is out and you need a captain. And then this is something that I, I would like to talk about. And I guess this is a good time to do it is even though Davis is the captain, he doesn't really seem like, like the captain, you know, he right. doesn't seem like he's out there actually um, bossing people around and getting in people, not getting in people's faces, but uh, kind of correcting behavior and, and, and organizing mm-hmm. the way that, that a guy like font used to be able to do. Um, Definitely,
1: I mean, I think from yesterday's game, why well, the leader in the team, I would think would probably it, as young, as young as he is, It would have to be someone like Hojbjog or Ward-Prowse. They shower
0: players they tell them what to do they boss them around they're definitely the leaders in the team in my opinion yeah and and Ward Prowse of course is the the England I think under 23 captain right Uh, yeah and so
1: he's already got the experience of being a captain for his map for his country so surely for the club it would be you know maybe he's a bit in Pellegrino's eyes he's a bit inexperienced but I think he could relish in the captain's role
0: yeah and he is he is doing more and more to make that that position his uh, on the right Mm -hmm. side of the midfield which is is because for a long time we were kind of wondering you know when when does he go from being the next big thing to actually being the big thing you know like mm-hmm, when when yeah. does he actually establish himself and he, he is you know, doing more and more of that and performances like yesterday uh, can only can only help his cause but yeah it it just really seemed, and we'll talk about it after halftime the 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 drastic difference you know from when Dini mm-hmm. comes on and when Dini takes that armband and I I Troy Dini is not the uh, for me, as an as an opposition fan, I don't think he's a very likable character. You know, um, he he does some things that I don't personally like. He kind of rubs me the wrong way, but he galvanizes the team. And he is out there demanding things of his of his teammates, and the team just played a lot better with him on the pitch uh, versus yeah. that first half when when they just it were, they were pretty bad. You know, it seems like we switched uh, we switched teams at halftime almost. Yeah. Um. But did you have any issues really with with who was in the squad and uh, other than what we've already mentioned?
1: Um. I would have liked to see to have seen Buffal on the pitch um, instead of Tadic because I feel Tadic is. His inconsistency can be very, very, very frustrating. You know, one minute he he glides past players easily, and then the next he's just giving the ball away, not really showing the effort levels. It seems like he's almost undroppable from Pellegrino, as if Pellegrino is to say he's the player I'm building the squad around. Um, but I'd like to see Bufal in there, even Sims, um, because um, someone with pace would have definitely threatened um, someone like Yanma, who's not the quickest fullback, um, just to get in behind. And also Gaviadini, I mean, I know Long contributed a lot yesterday and he showed why he's in the team to counterattack, which is Pellegrino's style. But I think, I don't understand why Pellegrino has such a reluctance to play Gaviadini for the talent that the Italian has. It just, it's a bit mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, yeah. He seems like he's definitely being frozen out of the squad and there were people tweeting yesterday, you know, you have our permission to go and <laughs> find a place to yeah, play. Yeah, I've seen that um, one, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know. The one thing that did jump out is there was a lot of support for Nathan Redmond over the, the past week for some of the abuse that he's been getting from from fans over, over recent weeks. And uh, he didn't even make the match day squad. Uh, do you think it's, you know, we're just speculating, but do you think it's, it's the manager saying you're not good enough and we have Sims and we're going to play Sims over you? Or do you think it's just give him a week off, let him kind of clear his head and he'll be back soon?
1: Um, I would hope it would be to let him clear his head um, just to say, you know, take your time, you know. But for the fans to abuse a player especially your own player during the game, it's not going to help. Um, it's, it's just not necessary. Just, you know, he might not be on the best game, but just let him continue playing. And then, you know, there's, it's not very good but just let your feelings be known you know on the on Twitter or something like that but his confidence is shot right now he is really low on confidence but I think if he gets back into the team has a good run in the squad um, starts getting some assists or some goals then he
0: can be you know the player that we hoped he would be when Puel signed him last season mm-hmm. now do you think that maybe the lack of confidence that he is is showing is, is starting to show up in the rest of the squad as well
1: um, definitely I think um, southampton would they would um, describe themselves as the best of the rest in a way so when players sign for Southampton they would be thinking okay so we're going to be relatively high in the table we're going to be doing all right we'll be chasing Europa League places um, but we haven't won in 10 games now I think it is. And the players just don't know what to do. I don't think they're playing um, for the manager. I think when you look at teams around us, they've, the players, you know, they've not been performing and then the manager goes, the new one comes in and then they start performing really well. I think Everton are a prime example of that. You, you begin to wonder whether that's the move that Samson are going to have to take because if it continues like this,
0: you know, we'll be playing twice a week in the championship. That's a worrying prospect because it is. I mean, just uh, personally, uh, selfishly, it's going to be hard to watch just because mm. they won't be on TV. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, I don't. Uh, I don't live anywhere near uh, being able to kind of show up and, and watch games in person. But uh, we will, or very often at least, So we'll, we'll see. Um, I guess going through the match, you you were there. Um, first half, we really seem to come out and be the better team and uh, reading, you know, looking at some of the BBC commentary and things like that. They kind of said like Southampton doesn't look like a team that's outside the the relegation zone on goal difference alone. You know, we looked so good that first half. Um, there were a few instances in the first half where I want to say Gray kind of missed a shot. He kind of kicked it off himself. It looked like, and then Stevens took it in the face and we just gave them a little bit of a little bit too much space, I think on around the edge of the area to, to try to, to put crosses and shots in. Um, but it seems like we tighten that up almost instantly. Um, but, but kind of throughout the first half up until um, James Ward-Prowse's goal, did you think we were the better team up until that point?
1: We definitely had um, a lot of the ball just sort of passing it around making Watford um, chase after the ball, not letting them have the ball. So yeah, we've done that for a while now, dominate the possession. And then from that, you'd expect the chances to start coming. Um, so with possession comes chances, and with chances, you know, you expect to score. And then we did score those um, two goals. Even the second one came from a Watford free kick, which we counterattacked really well. And you would have thought that, you know, we in the second half, we should have kept going, but we just didn't. We allowed uh, Watford to to
0: um, we invited pressure and um, it just, you know, it we uh, capitulated. Yeah, yeah. That first goal from James Ward-Prowse, when it came to him, it looked like he had kind of a lot of time and that it was, you know, is he going to get it away? And then he kind of, I think he kicked it through somebody's legs and kind of just placed it in the corner. And it was, it was great to see us go up one nil at that point. And and then we continued to play with some confidence. And I think what everybody on Twitter was worried about is that we were going to sit back right away and just try Mm -hmm. to defend that lead. And we didn't as much. And then the counterattack for the second goal I thought was was fantastic. And we, you spoke of, of Long's contribution uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he is something different in terms of, of, of yeah. what he brings to the team. And when he does what he does yesterday, it's hard to say, "Hey, he shouldn't be in the t- in 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 the team." Even though he is obviously in terms of, of being a pure striker, he is he is not as good as Gabby Dini. Hmm. Um as much as much as I slate long in front of everyone,
1: he, he the one thing he will give you is effort and work rate. He will run his heart out every game. As a striker, he doesn't—he hasn't scored in a while. He did score against Palace, but before that, he hadn't scored in a while. I think that might just be a confidence issue. But in terms of effort, he just cannot be faulted, and I think that's why um, he's in the team because of his effort.
0: Sure. It, the, so the second goal that he was a part of yesterday—he—he, he, you know, it was a counter He made—he beat the man down the line. Uh, he found Tadić, and I was just hoping Tadić wasn't going to kick it uh, <laughs> into the stands. Um, yeah. And he rolled it beautifully for for Ward Prowse to to score again. And at that point, I think in, in recent weeks, even against Fulham last week, we were all saying, you know, just get the second goal and kill the game off. You know, this game should be done. And going into halftime with a two-goal lead, I thought for sure, you know, we just have to continue to play this way and we and, and the game is over, you know? Like, this is this is it. Um, we went into halftime and and then we came out and we just looked completely different. And and so did Watford. Watford looked like they made some adjustments and this is where I think it gets to the point where the manager, he's missing something. You know, he he's obviously not... It, able to kind of keep the team going and, and, and build them back up and, and encourage them to do that kind of stuff. Whereas other managers, now we've seen Ray Hodgson do it against Crystal Palace. We've seen, um, you know, uh, Marco Silva do it last night. And it's it's getting worrying that we we can't make the adjustments. and We can't kind of uh, keep the momentum going anytime we get a lead. Mm, I mean, I, I think I read yesterday that's
1: now 11 points we've dropped from winning positions. Um, you know you got to wonder what they what the mentality is when they take a lead is it I mean obviously it seems to be you know sit back invite the pressure or counter attack and even yesterday you know as as painful as it is to say in the back of my mind you sort of saw it coming um, you saw that Watford had um, they played much better in the second half they had they had a focal point which was deep to get the ball into Dini we didn't have you know when we got the ball it was a what do we do with it you know um, we just didn't know what to do, and um, you know, it
0: cost us twice. If, I mean, if you just added eleven points to our total, we would be sitting at, I think, thirty-two points, mm, um, yeah. and that would put us in in eighth place right now. Yeah, like, that, of that's, course, not that's where we should be. Not taking right. those points away from the other teams that are there, so it might be a little bit different. But yeah, thirty-two points, and that I think people would be much happier. But I don't know. It's 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 getting it's getting somewhat worrying. But let's. I mean, heading into halftime, I thought we deserved the lead. I thought the scoreline was fair. I thought yeah. that. Some positives were that we didn't really sit back after the first goal. Um, we had some chances to be up maybe three or four nil. Um, oh yeah, definitely. When long just seemed to take about seven and a half minutes to get his shot off when the goal was open. Yeah, um, he, could have, he could have taken it first time, oh, but I man. think he took a touch and it allowed Ziegler to get the block in. Oh. Yeah, that would have been that would have been big, you know, but that that's where Gabby Genie scores, <laughs> you know, or Austin. Or, that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. So that was a little bit frustrating. But even so, 2-0 going into halftime, you have to think that everybody has a bunch of confidence and it would be somewhat difficult to kind of suck the confidence away from the team, you would think. But. Um, Before, you know, whatever adjustments were made on our part by Pellegrino at halftime or, or weren't made, there are some quotes here from from the Watford uh, players. Troy Deeney says, the manager wasn't happy at halftime. Uh, the thing we pride ourselves on weren't there. And we wanted to rectify that. We mustn't forget that first half. It needs to be talked about as much as the second half. And the manager says in the first half, we didn't play uh, with the right attitude or mentality. In the second half, we had the right commitment and mentality. And in the second half, we were Watford, uh, but not in the first half, we were not, and for them to come out and say that, and and for them to to go in there, and whether it's Troy Deeney that's making that statement uh, to to the rest of his teammates, or whether it's the manager that's making that that, that like that stuff has to happen in our dressing room with our manager and with our captain, and I think that's where we miss kind of a. A figure like like Jose Font, or you can only imagine Ronald Koeman in in the dressing room, even just preparing for for matches or, or talking about matches that have happened in the past. Like we can't keep making these same mistakes. Does that does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean when I've, I've watched Pellegrino's interview throughout the season, he definitely doesn't strike me as a man motivator. Just um, seems like someone who would bore the players at halftime. You know, the players just want to go out to so play the second half. Um, so I don't know what he what they do or say at halftime, but it, it definitely doesn't help anything.
0: Um, we mentioned earlier that Deeney came on immediately at halftime and and changed the game for the most part. You know, he is, like you said, he was super physical. And that's one of those, with the center back pairing of Hoot and Stevens, kind of worry about that a little bit. You know, we, we never really worried about being out-muscled when it was Font and, and Van Dyke or Font and Alderwild, But... When I think about about Hoot, I remember him getting out muscled by uh, Lukaku against United uh early in the season, you know. And that but that's really the only time. And other than that, like he gave it to people just just fine yesterday. And and we were putting in challenges and things like that. We we didn't really back down on the physical front, but I I just think we were we increasingly sat deeper and deeper and kind of our mentality was to, to do that. And we invited the pressure. And once they scored that first goal, I, I was worried. You know, I, I was worried that this was going to be an, another one of those games yeah, yeah, like we, we we've seen this before. And I don't know, what what when the teams came out at halftime, how how soon after halftime was it apparent that that something had was different um for both teams? Immediately. I mean, I think
1: one of the first things the Waffle did was pump the ball into the box, into Deany, him heading it down, shooting. Um the the tactic was obvious and you know, it was plain to for all the fans to see, and I think that all the fans expected it because they could see what was going on. They could see that Deanny was you know the real threat, and um, we just didn't know how to deal with it. We just didn't have the uh, the the right tactics to deal with uh, Deeney. I think if that, you know, it's easy to say now, but if that if someone like a Van Dyke, who's tall and physical, I think would have dealt with Deeney much better than than someone like Hoot or Stevens, who who's not the strongest physically.
0: Right, right. Um, after that first goal for Watford at two one, um, I don't know. It, it, the game seemed to kind of lack big moments. From that, from that point on, it wasn't really like either team was, was doing anything, uh, kind of noteworthy, but. Uh, Kind of sitting there watching, you know, kind of like you said, this is deja vu. We've seen this before. We've seen more pressure from from Watford. It doesn't, it didn't seem like we could hold on to the ball. Um, And then eventually, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to the decoré ball, but um, our, our substitutions come. uh, Davis comes off for Lamina. uh, And then the rest of the the other two substitutions don't happen until stoppage time when it's tied. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, the substitute, the substitutions were way too late. They should have, those two substitutes could have come on 10, 15, 20 minutes before and it would have made a difference because if Pellegrino does pride himself on counter-attacking then why wouldn't you bring on the pace of Sims and Bufau to counter-attack a team who are going full-out attack and then you have Bufau, Long and Sims um, you know, I mean, when Southampton got to the final, of the EFL cup final last year in the semi-final against Liverpool, it was Sims and Long who combined to score the goal at, An- at Anfield to send Southampton to Wembley. So, I mean, it's just, it's just baffling. It's th- those substitutions were too late. What, what impact can they make in three minutes? I mean,
0: it's. three minutes when all of the, all of the momentum is, is the other way. Exactly. Like there was no, there was no momentum on our side at all at that, at that point. Um, And Watford was even forced to make a a change early on or late on in the first half because of, of an injury. And, and I still think that, you know, Marco Silva made better use of his substitutions. You know, he had used two substitutions before the start of the second half and, and still managed to bring on Okaka who is another guy that I just don't like and I think it's because every time he plays against us he's he's physical he's kind of in our in our faces and he 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 does just enough to put defenders off and and, and things like that that he he causes trouble and with those two coming in and, and going up top, we had very little chance, I think, of, of denying them goal-scoring opportunities.
1: Yeah, the thing the thing with Watford is that the players that they have, um, they have some technically good players, but a lot of them are technically not as good, but they're just really annoying to play against because they're just physically powering. It's just hard for the defenders to deal with it. Um, and I think sometimes that can be caught
0: in the mind of the defender. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess now we have to talk about that their second goal. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Kind I, I mean, obviously, it's a handball. Yeah, um that's an understatement. Th- there is, <laughs> there were, there were memes yesterday going around the internet of you know nobody knew Watford had an, had a you know professional basketball team uh, and and things like that. But wh- what were you? I mean, being in the stadium, was it clear to you guys? Is that on the opposite end of the, of the stadium from where you guys are sitting, or or wh- how clear was it to you that it that it, something was wrong with with the way that that goal happened?
1: It was clear that something was wrong because the players were appealing very heavily against the. Uh, linesman and the ref so I I didn't know what was wrong I think it might it could have been an offside or something I didn't think it was a handball um when I saw it live but when I looked at it again oh my goodness was it a handball he he literally scooped the ball into the net with his hand like that's the sort of goal you'd expect a handball professional player to go to score not a footballer um so it was just I don't know it's but the thing with it now that it infuriates you the most is not the fact they actually win it. it is the fact that now that Southampton have an excuse um, I mean, they even um, posted it on their own social media, that a picture of the goal. I think they're using it as an excuse to sort of bypass the fact that we lost that 2-0 lead. And a lot of the fans have responded to that. They've um, recognized that Southampton are trying to get around this, um, which I think is ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, the handball is just, you know, it's it's another example of why we need VAR in professional football.
0: Yeah. and And I'm... <sighs> I'm torn here because it is very clearly it, it, that's illegal. You know, that is not that is not fair. If somebody does that in the game where I played yesterday after our game in a pickup game, nobody is allowing that. And if the guy wants to argue about it, like somebody's going to fight him. Like that's how bad it was. Um And I'm not advocating for violence against anybody, but like, I don't know. On one hand, you want people on your team that are going to, I mean, he knew he missed it with his head and he had to get it in the net somehow because time is running out. And so he does it and it's not on him to, 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 to report himself, you know? Um, but again, like you said, this is something that Jose Mourinho would look to and say like, this is, this is the talking point now and we can shift focus away from how we played that second half. And I don't think that's acceptable for us right now. I think that the way the second half went down, the way we played the second half needs to be discussed and looked at. And if we, we find ourselves in that situation where, where this handball costs us two points, we put ourselves there, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah. I, and like, like you said, I think that needs to be, to be discussed and. If you look at the stats and if you watch the second half if you took all the goals kind of out of the game you just kept the score away and didn't show any of the goals if you just showed everybody the full match without without the goals happening you would probably say that it that a that a draw was fair. Um, yeah,
1: I mean like they said on like they said um, on match of day you know it was a game of two halves. Southampton dominated the first and Watford dominated the second and um unfortunately Southampton paid the price for being lazy um, for allowing um the pressure and um yeah, it,
0: it, we saw it coming. And I don't know. Even looking at even looking at the first goal, um, we see situations again where our defenders are late to react. Yeah. And this is another thing that we've seen again and again and again. It's like if we're going to sit back that deep, you have to kind of be switched on the entire time. And for both goals, I think we we made mistakes. The first goal, I, I don't think McCarthy has any blame for. Um, he no, was he able made to- a good save at first. And then Gray has all the time in the world to to get under it and and headed into the goal. And then the second the second goal, you know, I understand that that Hoot falls or slips and falls, but Bertrand is nowhere to be seen. And no,
1: yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. You know, he wasn't in his um, natural left back position at the time.
0: And for me, that's what's frustrating is the fact that we sat so deep, we didn't stay disciplined, we kind of failed to do the things that if you're going to be a defensive team with a lead, that you have to be the defensive team with a lead, and we did didn't even do that well. And that, that to me frustrates, frustrates me. Um, Now, if, if we have VAR, of course, the goal is overturned immediately. But like I said, I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's, that's fair. And I don't know how you feel kind of about that, but I'm not even, I mean, I can't even be mad really about the handball
1: um yeah i can I can sort of see it. i mean in terms of the var it's it's something that's been implemented in other leagues and it has turned games around um but we wouldn't we would complain if it happened you know if we were the team trailing and you know we we um we scored the goal thanks to that we wouldn't be complaining because you know that's a point earned for us but seeing how weird in this position of two points drops you know, this is um, a potentially a season defining moment.
0: Right. Right. And, and kind of what I would say looking at it is I would say, look at look at the other nine points that we've dropped. You know, this is two. But if we had the other nine, this would hurt, but it wouldn't hurt as much. Yeah, definitely. And, and but it's
1: all it's all down to it's all down to our defensive frailty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes you put yourself in, in, in situations where bad things can happen and bad things will happen. You know, if, if you kind of keep yourself out of those situations, um, then you don't have to worry about them. And, and exactly. I think that's that, that's on us a little bit. And and I'm not I don't want to by any means excuse the the refereeing decision of not seeing that or, or whatever. But, you know, they didn't see it. And the referees are human and, and mistakes happen. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure we will have a, a decision go our way at some point. Uh, it just doesn't feel like that <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um do you have any other thoughts on, on that match in particular?
1: Um, no. I mean, I think everything's been covered. The handball's been covered. The the late substit- the substitutions that happened too late have, have been talked about. I think the chances that we could have put away that we didn't put away. I just think it's um, it, it was um prior to the game it was probably a six-pointer. Um, Because Watford, in terms of form uh, down there with Southampton, um, I think it was one in nine um, or something like that. Um, It was a game that we had to win. We didn't. And, you know, at the end of the season, that could be costly.
0: All right. Well, let's let's move on to some listener questions then. Uh, We have a couple um, from... Twitter and from Instagram none came in from Facebook but that is okay so we have one here from G who is at vast majority 22 and he says what is Saints best center back partnership what Yoshida and Stevens all seem to have their own weaknesses uh, what pairing is compliment is most complimentary to each other um, in my opinion
1: it would probably be Hoots and Stevens
0: Um they're both very
1: composed on the ball the problem with Yoshida is that he slipped slowly recently he's slipped back into his old ways of being a little bit nervous on the ball in a bit you know weaken the defense. So in my opinion, it's Probably definitely Hoot and Stevens.
0: Okay. All right. AJ Reardon, who is a longtime listener and, and, and question a frequent questioner, question, I don't even know if that's the right word. Um, but anyway, he's at Fred Lazaro5 on Twitter. And he says, I wish I had a new question for you all, only I'm plagued with the same two or three, most prominently the question of why this team is terrified of a lead. And and for me, I think that speaks to the lack of, of leadership that we kind of talked about earlier. Uh the fact that we don't have a leader who kind of is out there and and can instruct people you know you know hey we're 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 shifting now even if you're going to shift to to being defensive and sitting deep it's it's the ability to organize that that w- that we are missing right now
1: yeah it's also the the um the lack of a clear game plan when we do sit back when we do sit back and then we do get the ball um like i said it's sort of a case of what we're going to do now but just sitting back and inviting pressure, you know, it, it is, it's is—it's bound to get to, um, to you know, cost you. Um, yes, it costs us the same as it usually does, maybe a bit more. Um, but I just think if we had a natural leader on the pitch, I don't think Steven, Stevens is a leader, but he's not a um, physically empowering leader um, like Deany is. Um, I think if we had someone like that, I think it would have been a lot better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom Mason, who's at Tom underscore Mason 18 on Twitter, asks, which transfer do you feel as though the club should make after there are no moves 14 days into the window? And, and just to kind of go back to, to your answer on the previous question, this is where the transfer window is not going to help us in terms of, of a leader. And you're not, you're not going to bring in somebody like uh, a, a longtime captain that's going to come into your club and one, be available and, and be able to lead the team. You know, that's going to have to come from somebody who's been at the club and who, who is, you know, a leader and has been there for a while. And, and I just don't see that happening. I don't, I don't, I look around the, the squad and I don't see those, those types of players. Um, But uh, to answer Tom's question, what areas do you think most need to be addressed uh, in terms of uh, the transfer window?
1: Um, I would say a powerful centre-back, not a sort of a ball-playing defender, someone who's physical at the back. Um, Someone creative um, in the midfield, I would have said someone like... Um, Guy Tan, who, we were linked, who we've been linked with. Um, Alcott um, would be a good one. I think his pace would be um, extremely beneficial for someone uh, for our team who lack, lack of pace when we go forward. Um, and maybe even a striker, I would say. So just a, a goal scorer, someone who scores goals. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. We've with, um, with stayed long for all his efforts um, and all the work he's putting in. You know, if we're not going to put in the goals, you know, we're not going to get any points.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the truth. And especially now with Austin being out for however long and Gabby Dini just gone missing in terms of yeah. getting game time. Um, we definitely need someone in there because, you know, I, I, we can't rely on James Ward-Prowse to score two goals every game. That's, you no. know, or to score yeah. three in two games. That's that's not his game for for the most part. And, you know, relying on 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 guys like Remeyu and things like that to and Yoshida to score goals. That's just not going to get it done, you know. We need, we need the guys up top to contribute. And that's, and that's part of where the blame falls on, on Redmond and and long and other, and other people for, for not getting that, that part of the job done. But then you wonder about tactics and service and and all these other things that, that go into giving them the opportunity to score, but we're not privy to that information. So, uh, we're there, um, on, on Instagram, saints FC fan zone asks, uh, who would you like to see as Southampton's next manager? Uh, (laughs) And at this point, I'm not Ooh. sure where you stand, but for the most part, people are, are Pellegrino out and yeah. And, and yeah, yeah and I would it, agree. I think everybody recognizes that it goes higher than that. You know that that it's oh yeah, there are issues with yeah. the board and everything else. But um, if you were going to if you were able to get rid of the manager and and choose somebody else who's out there, who would you bring in maybe uh, as a manager?
1: Um, This is not many people have circulated around this name, but um, I, I would, I'd be interested with um, Peter. He used to be Ajax's manager and Dortmund's manager. Um, You know, I say this, with the Dutch family, that Ajax and Southampton are very uh, common, bringing in young players through the through the ranks, playing them, and then developing them. Um, I think he would be quite good for that. Barizo as well, um, who got sacked from uh, I think it was Sevilla a few weeks ago, could be interesting. But with with managers, you know, it just it's a bit of a minefield because you just don't know um, what they're going to do with your club because it's just they don't know our squad yet. We don't know how they like to play or how they would like to play with our squad. It's it's we just don't know. But I think at this rate, anyone other than Pellegrino would would probably be an upgrade.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you know, I think it's been said before, but we're looking back at the cloud pool days and going like oh, maybe it wasn't so bad, you know. Um, and I don't know. And, and the the tough thing now about bringing in a manager is if you're bringing in a manager from, from a foreign league, then what, how long does it take him to adjust to the premier league and to, to make, um, you know, corrections and things like that to the squad and, and, and just get us on the right track because we really don't have that many opportunities, you know, or, we're going to be struggling for points and so this is almost where you would look for to bring in somebody that's like a Sam Allardyce and I know he's not available but like you bring him in and he any any he, he stops the bleeding he sure's up the defense and and he's there for the season and you move forward but I don't see us I don't see the club doing that I don't see and I, I really I don't see the club getting rid of the manager I think they're going to to stick with him for however long and whether that means we go down because of that or not um that's kind of just what I think and I and I, di- I didn't see that they uh, some of the sites suspended betting on, on the next manager sacked, which probably means a bunch of people laid money on, on Pellegrino to go. But, um, you know, we, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think um, in Kruger's recent interview, I think he
1: pretty much admitted that Pellegrino would stay on as manager, um, which... You know, I've never really understood Kruger's appointment in the first place, considering his, um, his sporting uh, history. He's never owned a football club before or led a football club before. He's mainly in ice hockey, which are two completely different animals. Um, and I think that, you know, as you said, it goes higher. And if, you know, Le- Les Reed, who's the director of football, is still living as if we were in 2012 rather than in 2018,
0: you know, you are going to have a problem. That does it for for those questions. Um, but a I, I, question for you. Anybody that you have written about in La Liga uh, that we haven't maybe been linked with that you think would be a good fit for one of the positions you talked about earlier, probably in the attacking areas? Um, well, the club that I like to cover the most in La Liga
1: is um, Bilbao. And they have a 36-year-old striker, but he is so clinical in front of goal. Aerially, he is amazing and um when when he's just if you're him the right service which is you know very questionable with Salampton at this rate um he will score the chances but the chances of him leaving Bilbao are quite low um but Barcelona um made a lot of their players available recently in the transfer window so the likes of Denis Suarez and um Paco Alcacer um I think those two would be really good additions to the squad because Any player who's played for a top club like Barcelona, they've been there. They're there on merit. They're not there because, you know, they got there luckily. Um, So players will look, our players would look up to those players and, you know, try and seek a bit of inspiration or even, you know, sense there's a bit of competition
0: and they'll raise their own game. So, yeah, anyone like that would be
1: really good addition.
0: Um, and then one kind of just a uh, random, random question. I know that you write a lot about La Liga, um, especially recently. Is there a, a stadium or an away day that you would most like to take in, in La Liga? Um, probably Real Madrid or
1: Barcelona. Those are the two, because, um, I visited both just on a tour in general. And even with it empty, it's, Probably the, one of the best stadiums I've been to. Um, so for a game,
0: I would love to go to one of those two. All maybe right. maybe, even for a, maybe even for a Classico. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. That that rivalry. That, that I don't watch La Liga very often, but I will make time to watch the Classico almost every time. Yeah. But I don't know. That's just me. But um, but do, do you have anything else that you'd like to discuss? Uh, writing, team, or otherwise? No, I think uh, everything's been covered, and that's great. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. that does it for episode 54 of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it, even though it wasn't the most positive of shows. I'd like to thank my guest, Alex Hammond, for giving me his time. You can find him on Twitter at St. Hammond, and you can get his writing at Read Southampton and at Liga News. I appreciate him being willing to share his thoughts on the club uh, in this difficult time, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed them as much as I did. This podcast has partnered with the Saints Report. For all of your Southampton FC news and needs, be sure to visit the Saints Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. Additionally, you can follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at SFC D E L L underscore I V E R Y on Twitter and Instagram. And we're at facebook.com forward slash SFC Delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. If you're new to the show or you simply haven't done so yet, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcast to be sure that you do not miss an episode. If you have been listening for some time and you've been enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It only takes a second and it helps raise awareness about the show. If you can't or don't want to do that, please consider sharing the show with someone you know. Every new listener helps and I truly appreciate it. All music for this episode comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. The end of show credits that you're listening to now is Aim Is True by Pottington Bear. Links to all those are in the show notes, so be sure to check them out if you're interested. We'll be back next week with another episode. We'll look back at the Spurs match. We'll look ahead to the Watford FA Cup match. And hopefully we'll have some good news to share. Until then... Remember that together, we march on.